This is the Best Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to Best Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Tom McCalley from the law firm Carmeloni in Washington, D.C. Tom is a partner with the firm with over 25 years of litigation experience across a multitude of industry groups. He is the practice group leader for the firm's employment and labor law practice, with his areas of expertise including employment and labor law, complex litigation, class actions, multi-district litigation or MDL, civil rights, nonprofit, and religious institutions practice. He has also been lead counsel in scores of federal and state court trials. Tom, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you, John. I'm looking forward to it. Today's discussion is how COVID-19 will impact the workplace environment and returning to work processes. And Tom, for our first question, what role does the ADA, ADEA play during the COVID-19 crisis? Sure. Uh, As we return to work in the country, um, what we're expecting to see is a triggering of ADA and ADA issues as employers struggle with the return to work. What we're anticipating and have been seeing are well-intentioned employers issuing well-intended actions that run afoul of the ADA and ADEA. And Turning to the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, for example, we're having employers, although they think they're doing the right thing, they're excluding some employees from the workplace out of concern for their health or safety. That could run afoul of the ADA. Now, what can an employer do as the employees return uh, that is permitted under the EEOC guidelines? You can ask them about their exposure history and and or whether or not they have tested positive. You can ask them if they've been caring for anyone or in close proximity to someone who has tested positive. That is permitted by the EEOC and under the ADA. You can also, and this is within the EEOC guidelines, they're allowing employers to take temperature of returning employees. I would caution Uh, Everything we're going to cover today is not a one-size-fits-all, and you have to let your actions in the return-to-work process be governed by the realities of your workplace. But on the taking of temperature, um, we are not recommending that for most employers because there's a host of regulatory issues you have to be concerned about. Number two, who's going to make a decision what's a high temperature or low? Number three, who are you going to get to do it unless you hire a licensed nurse or something like that? Another way to handle this is just ask the employees as they return to work if they're feeling okay or not. If they're not feeling well, have them go home. It's as, it's as simple as that. If there is a concern and some, you think someone is not well, yet they refuse to go home, you can insist that they go home. And under the ADA, the COVID-19 virus is considered a direct threat. And what that means is a direct threat is a defense to an employer for actions it may take towards or against someone with a disability or perceived disability. Because the employer has reason to believe they are ill, sending them home with pay or having them continue to telework is is the best course of action to take rather than risk exposure. 
in terms of the information you gather during this return to work process, those are medical records in the eyes of the law and under the ADA. So those should be kept in separate files. If you do take temperatures and you're recording that information, that information about an employee should be kept in a separate file away from their HR records. Again, an ADA requirement and something you don't want to run afoul of. In terms of the ADEA and other similar statutes, what we have with people returning to work who may be over 40, that's what the ADEA protects. We know that the CDC has indicated it and the the epidemiological studies have shown that individuals over the age of 60 are at greater risk. So you want to be careful not having a well-intended consequence like having your older workers not return to work come back to bite you. If an employee is ready to return to work, they should be permitted to turn to work regardless of their age. Even though it may be a higher risk for them, that's you don't want to have the employer subvert the employee's wishes to return because they do have the right to return unless they've been exposed or, or have been near someone who's exposed or have tested positive. The same would apply to physical conditions under the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. People with underlying health conditions have also been shown to be more susceptible to the COVID-19 virus. Again, if the employee wants to return to work, you must let them return to work absent exposure or taking care of someone who's been exposed. If those employees are having issues and they may not want to return to work, then you should engage in the interactive process with them. And what does that mean? It simply means asking questions. If you have an, an employee with an underlying health condition or just someone over the age of 60 who's not comfortable returning to work, engage in the interactive process that you utilize under the ADA and talk to them about what options are available. Again, it's important for employers to remember when you're talking about accommodations, especially in this time, it's not one size fits all. So there are many options. You can have employees continue to telework. An employee who may not have teleworked, you can offer that to them. Altered work schedules, they could come in at all hours or staggered days, staggered weeks, things like that to cut down their commuting time and or their potential exposure in the office. You can also suggest that they work in different areas if the particular area of your office or workplace has a lot of people, perhaps they could be given an area that is not quite as crowded. So those are some of the issues you have to be aware of with ADA and ADEA issues as the employees return to the workplace. Tom, what do employers need to know about dealing with other forms of discrimination or harassment during COVID-19 and returning to work? The biggest thing to remember here is just because we've been working virtually does not mean the employment laws have been suspended. There are numerous press reports circulating around about relationships between employees beginning because they're now Zooming or they're on conference calls constantly and they're actually having more interaction than they might in a normal workplace. The key here is inappropriate behavior, 
inappropriate comments, jokes, pictures, et cetera, can just as easily, easily be sent around virtually as they can in the office. And such things as suggestive comments during a call or a Zoom meeting, something like that. The other thing we're seeing is discrimination against Chinese and Asian employees because of the origins of the COVID virus. You want to be attentive to that, make sure there's no jokes or things like that circulating. And what we recommend is of the best practices, employers should emphasize to their employees adherence to the workplace policies, the anti-discrimination laws, whether they're working remotely or have returned to work. And I would remind everyone, you can also conduct a virtual investigation if need be, if there is a complaint. Tom, employers must provide employees with a safe workplace. So how do you do this with respect to COVID-19 and avoid potential OSHA or workers' compensation-related claims? That's, and this is probably the most important question here. This is an uncharted landscape. So we don't know what kind of claims are going to be brought. We don't know what novel ideas or theories the plaintiff's bar might come up with to address a perceived injury or harm to someone. The advice we're giving is that the best thing you can do is to constantly check the CDC guidelines and guidance for the return to work. If you go on their website, they have uh, charts and lists of what they recommend for safety precautions in the workplace. They have three categories. One is none to minimal, the second is minimal to moderate, and the third is substantial. My recommendation is you try to follow all of them. Understanding one size does not fit all, and you make it tailored to your workplace. I could see down the road uh, uh, in a deposition an employer being deposed based on the CDC guidance and whether or not they complied or tried to comply with it. So that's number one. Number two, you always need to check your state and local guidance about the COVID-19 virus and return to work issues. Unlike any other type of employment issue that we've dealt with of late, the state and local jurisdictions even, just individual cities are putting out their own rules and guidance. Be aware of those and check those regularly as well. Again, it's not one size fits all. OSHA has been slow to put out guidance on the COVID virus. Workers comp always applies whether or not someone could establish exposure in the workplace as to anywhere else in their life is an open question and how workers comp would address that uh, we're going to start seeing those claims come in but the bottom line osha requires you to provide a safe workplace workers comp can hold you liable and if the plaintiff's bar can take a claim outside of the comp protections then you're in civil court as well. So the best practices, follow the CDC guidance and guidelines with what they recommend. Number two, check your state and local requirements. That's about the best you can do as best practices to protect yourself as the employer from liability. I would also add, if there is someone exposed in your office or they tell you they have been living with someone who was exposed or they test positive, 
follow the CDC guidance on what you should do about that employee not coming to work, the duration they should stay out of work, and the requirements to return. I'm not going to go through those now. They're on the CDC uh, website, and they will be changing more likely than not. So you want to stay abreast of those. Tom, what about waivers? That's been a hot topic of conversation. I don't think it's a good idea. Number one, they're probably not going to be enforceable because as a general statement of common law contracts, you can't waive future unknown possibilities. And I think they would be subject to challenge. Number two, they might be used against the employer in litigation, trying to argue an inference that you knew you couldn't provide a safe workplace. That's why you wanted to get the, the waivers signed. Third, workers' comp is not really going to acknowledge a waiver because these are statutory rights enforced by uh, state and local jurisdictions, typically, as well as OSHA. So I don't think waivers are worth the time and energy that's going to be required to have them prepared and executed. What I would recommend, have your employees sign an acknowledgement and receipt of your company's best practices and or policies regarding COVID-19 and the return to work. Every employer should be preparing a statement about return to work and what the new workplace is going to look like for the time being, what precautions the employer is taking. Those should be communicated to your employees. I can't emphasize the importance of that type of communication. Then once that's out there, have them send an email acknowledgement of receipt or signed receipt, something along those lines. I think that is a much better course to go than a waiver. Tom, what concerns are there about compliance with wage and hour laws? Once again, just because we're working virtually doesn't mean the wage and hour laws have been suspended. And the, the areas employers can run into problems most importantly with overtime. Because we're working virtually, people get used to working all hours of the day and night. Employers and employees have to remember all work has to be compensated. So if you have an hourly employee working all of hours, working weekends, working through their lunch, that could put the employer into an overtime situation. For salaried employees, let's say you furloughed some salary employees, employers have to be aware that if that employee is furloughed, if they do any work, no matter how de minimis, during a week of that furlough, you're going to have to pay them for that full weeks of pay. Or it could be a full day of pay, depending on the facts and circumstances and your, your local state laws. But it's important to remember, if employees are out on furlough, they're not to be contacted, they're not to do work. It should be a true end of the working relationship in terms of asking them to do anything until they come back from their furlough. Something the employers can do and we would recommend, remind everyone of the wage and hour requirements, remind your hourly workers and your managers that you have to get pre-approval for overtime. And if you have salaried employees out on furlough or leave, don't ask them to do anything. Otherwise, you could run afoul of the wage and hour laws. Tom, does the FMLA still apply? Yes, FMLA applies, and it's been beefed up by the FFCRA. So in addition to your, your FMLA leave, we now have portions of it paid for. So for anyone who has been exposed, tested positive, or is caring for someone who's been exposed, 
they're entitled to 80 hours of leave at full pay with a cap at $511. Second category under the FFCRA, if an employee cannot come to work because they have to take care of a child due to the closure of school or daycare, they're entitled to 80 hours of leave at two-thirds pay with a cap at $200 a day. And then there's an additional 10-week extension of that. So they could be out up to 12 weeks at two-thirds pay with a cap of $200 a day. That would run concurrently with their normal FMLA leave under the federal law. If you're in a state or local jurisdiction with FMLA laws, you have to check those to make sure they don't provide greater protections and comply with those as well. Always remember someone out on this leave, it's protected. They're entitled to return to their prior position or similar position, and you can't retaliate against them for taking that leave. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. That was attorney Tom McCallie from the law firm Carmeloni in Washington, D.C. Special thanks to today's producer, Frank Volinkle. And thank you all for joining us for Best Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professional Resources features valuable insurance industry content, including searchable profiles of client-recommended insurance attorneys, adjusters, and expert service providers. Brought to you by AM Best, known worldwide as a respected source of insurance industry news and information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.